All right. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. On the show with me today, we have a very special guest, Dave Asprey. Over the last two decades, Dave, the father of biohacking, has worked with world-renowned doctors, researchers, scientists, and global mavericks to uncover the latest, most innovative methods, techniques, and products for enhancing mental and physical performance. Dave has personally spent over $2 million taking control of his own biology, pushing the bounds of human possibility in all in the name of science, evolution, and revolution. The creator of the Bulletproof Diet and innovator of Bulletproof Coffee, collagen protein supplements, and many more advances in commercial wellness products, Dave's mission is to empower the entire globe with information and knowledge that unlocks the superhuman in everyone at any age. The proof of these advancements are better sleep, energy, and expanded capacity for all. Be a better partner, parent, provider, and overall human being in every aspect of life. Be proof, be bulletproof. And Dave has just come out with a new book, uh, which I have listened to and am a fan of. It is called Fast This Way, Burn Fat, Heal Inflammation, and Eat Like the High-Performance Human You Were Meant to Be. So Dave, very excited to have you on the show today. Hey, thanks, Toby. So I want to I wanna ask you, going way back, you know, as I just mentioned before we started airing, I originally came across your work, I want to say, it was my junior year of high school, I think, so some 2013, 2014. And you had the Bulletproof, early on, yeah, you had the Bulletproof blog, and you had Upgraded Self, the store that just sold a few things, if I remember correctly. You had like oh, yeah. the coffee, the MCT oil. Tell me, back in those days, did you ever envision Bulletproof becoming, or biohacking in general, becoming as big and as mainstream as it's gotten today? Oh, I knew biohacking was gonna be mainstream. I, I did that very consciously and deliberately. I didn't trademark the word I could have. You know, I wrote the definition, I started the conferences, and I was building a community of biohackers. Uh, because we needed a word to talk about people who were interested in control of their biology. And it's an excuse for a neuroscience to sit down next to a bodybuilder, next to an anti-aging doctor. And, well, wait, we're all working on the same thing? Because I, I was so frustrated in my own path, losing 100 pounds, that that hadn't, those conversations didn't happen. So there were all these people with different mindsets all trying to solve the same problem, and we hadn't come together. And it's been... It's been very powerful and biohacking has become a new word in the English language. And my name's in the Merriam-Webster's dictionary online now, which is insane. And um, I, so I, I knew that biohacking was a movement that was going to overtake quanti quantified self. Um, I remember on paleo hacks a long time ago saying, guys, I hate to tell you this, but the biohackers are coming for your paleo caves and we have lasers. Like you have to use technology along with this ancestral stuff. The ancestral stuff is directionally right, but they didn't have mass spectrometers in caves. We can do better. And so here we are and biohacking's happened. Um, with Bulletproof, look, I made a quarter million dollars a year as a VP at a big company with stock options and I had two young kids. Um, I didn't need to start a company. I started the blog knowing that if five people read the blog and avoided all the crap that I went through, <laughs> being really heavy, chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, and just all the, the, the suffering that was unnecessary is from just having bad information. Like, look, if five people read this, they dodge the bullet. I have done a solid, and I just feel like it's, it's morally worth it. 
keep in mind, I've run an anti-aging nonprofit for 15 years that shares this kind of information for free. When the blog took off, I said, you know, I'm having a hard time finding clean coffee. I got to solve this problem. So I went out there and I sourced some coffee and, and I said, the market size for clean coffee was zero. No one's ever heard of it. And I thought maybe a hundred people will do this with me and I can spend my $10,000 on lab tests. And magically more than a few people were interested in the coffee and it took off. And the MCT oil was not a substantial category. No one talked about it. It wasn't a thing. Um, now it's a billion dollar category. So these things happen. It, it takes about you know, five or 10 years, but even intermittent fasting and um, the whole keto diet, you know, 2011 was, these were not common things we talked about. This was one of the biggest blogs talking about them. And they've all kind of spun off and there's a bunch of, you know, keto bros and you've got the whole intermittent fasting crowd now. And it's neat watching how all these happen, the circadian biology side of things. But all those are part of biohacking because they all matter. It's like, what are the environmental variables we can change that change us? Right. So you mentioned intermittent fasting. That's one thing I want to talk to you about as far as specifically with uh, related to brain performance. It's something that I noticed back when I was probably reading your stuff on, on fasting back several years ago. And I started playing around with it and noticed that my test scores in undergrad uh, were definitely improved. I had much more mental clarity uh, when I did intermittent <laughs> fasting. Okay. You know how happy you're making me? Like I was such a crappy student. I barely graduated because my, my, my brain wouldn't do what I wanted to. I'm, I'm plenty smart. But if I don't point my brain in the right direction, have the right fuel, I'm kind of a zombie. I didn't figure any of this stuff out till I was over 30. So the fact that you could intermittent fast and get better test scores, you just made my day. Like, that's awesome. No, seriously, I, I, I noticed a huge difference as yeah. far as just like, I wouldn't be reaching for words. I would be, I would just be completely crisp and clear. I want to hear what is going on in the brain when we're intermittent fasting or when we're doing a prolonged fast, if you could break that down. Like okay. what, what is, what is actually causing these, these mental improvements? Um, I talk about a good amount of this in my new fasting book, Fast This Way. And the first thing that's happening is that you have X amount of electrons available in your body at any one time. And your body makes electrons by combining 30 pounds of air and food and then breaking it down and then eventually extracting energy from it. Well, you spend a meaningful portion of your available electrons breaking down food to get more electrons. If there's no food in your stomach, all of those electrons become available for thinking or for fixing your body. And that's a pretty cool deal. The second thing that happens during a fast, during a longer fast, you go into ketosis. During a shorter fast, your ketones actually will rise, but not enough to get into full grade clinical ketosis. If you do a bulletproof fast, the way I've been talking about for a while, um, you actually get more ketones and ketones provide more energy than carbs do. And the neurons in your brain love ketones. They'll actually use ketones even if glucose is present. So that's a preferred fuel for them. And if you're doing a prolonged fast, another thing happens for mental clarity, which is when um, we don't have food for a while, your body opens up your, I'm going to call it your sensing network to help you find food better. So you become more environmentally aware, you become more perceptive, you hear things better, things are sharper, you see better colors. Uh, and if you go walk in a forest, you feel the forest better. You're actually more connected to the world around you. And it's a pretty neat state to do, but that's gonna take a couple of days of fasting. And intermittent fast though, it's because you're not distracting yourself with all the energy going into food. A secondary thing is that 
all foods have three things in them. They have an amount of energy. It's called calories. Calories are not bad for you. They're actually what you use to make electrons. They're useful. <laughs> That's why eating food that has no calories in it is going to probably not make you feel good. The second thing is it has nutrients. The third thing it has that most nutritional science seems to forget about is it has toxins and anti-nutrients. No food is free. All foods are a mix of those three things. But if you're eating things that are full of toxins, and a lot of us are doing that either in, for convenience or just because we're not well trained on thinking about that, then it lowers mitochondrial function. And then we have less energy in our brain. And then our body says, I'm using all available blood sugar to oxidize these toxins to, to deal with what you just stuck in my gut so you don't have enough blood sugar for the brain. So you actually make a decision in the body around longevity, around protecting the system. It says, oh, I'm willing to shave a couple IQ points off. It doesn't matter. And this is why you get a sugar craving after you eat a lot of meals. It's because you ate the wrong stuff. Regarding these longer fasts, so I'll just tell you my experience. I've tried a few three-day fasts. And most of my experiences on the third day, I've experienced just like incredible mental clarity as if I'm just like buzzing on caffeine all day and just so sharp. Is that a common experience? Do you, uh, I know you you talked, you talked some in your book about sort of spiritual experiences um, as a result of these longer fasts. Tell me about kind of the connection there. Well, that's why every major tradition and lineage has fasting as a part of it, Um, including most of the Christian stuff. If you look back, um, there's always periods of fasting in the Bible. And you look in Hindu, Buddhist, Islam, it's always there, Uh, as well as more of the traditional stuff like shamanic training and all. It's just a fundamental thing. It's because on that third day, you get a massive boost of energy and you get that open connection to the world around you. And what I wrote fast this way for was to point out, look, I did a four day fast in a cave, a vision quest, and that's the backdrop for the book. There is such a thing as a spiritual fast, but there's also such a thing as a working fast, which is when I wanted to study. I wanted to get my work done. I have kids running around the house and I'm trying to stay focused to try and do a water only spiritual fast, which requires rest, reflection, journaling, meditation, breathing, all the stuff you do when you're on a path. That's a different skill, but fasting can turn on that energy. You might also say, I want to turn on my energy to do life with fasting and understanding that they're different and that it's okay to say, I'm going to do an intermittent fast today. I'm going to do all of the things that I am allowed to do that give me energy during my fast so I can feel more like my third day, even though it's just a morning without breakfast. That's basically what I'm teaching in Fast This Way. Okay. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about mitochondria, which was the subject of a headstrong, one of your books. Tell me about uh, mitochondria in the brain and why people who care about their cognitive performance should be paying attention to their mitochondria function. We like to think of mitochondria as these ancient bacteria that are the power plants in the body. We all learned that in seventh grade. That is not probably accurate. Two billion years ago, there was some kind of a cell, we're not sure what, we think of some kind of a parasite, and we think that was us, and we're floating in the ocean, and then we harnessed these ancient bacteria and embedded them inside of us so that they could be our power plants. Now, what the mitochondria are saying is, hey, we found these floating Petri dishes, we moved in and took over and we're still in charge. Because what mitochondria really do is they are 
factories and environmental sensors and power plants. So what they're doing is they're looking at the environment around you. That's that definition of biohacking. Uh, changing the environment around you. <laughs> That's because they're listening to that. And then based on what they think before you get a chance to have any input, they decide the allocation of energy, hormones, and neurotransmitters that they're going to make, as well as a bunch of other signaling peptides that they do. And then they make a decision, these quadrillion of them, about what kind of signals we want to roll up into the nervous system. And then that gets to the brain. And the brain starts, there's seven layers of filtering in the prefrontal cortex, and you get to see the final layer. All the stuff underneath that is hidden. And it's all powered by mitochondria. They run your willpower. They run everything you do. So if you do something that gives them more energy, the system works better. It's just that straightforward. And in the brain, the neurons have 15,000 mitochondria in the average neuron, which is a lot. Most of the cells in the body have a few hundred. So the heart and the brain have these incredibly powerful um, arrays of mitochondria. And if you make your mitochondria work better, you'll feel it first in your brain. And it turns out that every one of the major neurodegenerative diseases involves low mitochondrial function for one reason or another. Keep the mitochondria in the brain running, you're not going to get Alzheimer's disease. You're just not. <laughs> and it's pretty incredible. But all the things that they think might cause Alzheimer's disease have one thing in common. They make mitochondria weak. So the thesis for Headstrong is fix the mitochondria, fix the brain, reduce the odds of every brain disease. But more importantly, have a brain that actually works better this morning. Intermittent fasting is the fastest way to do that. It's also the cheapest way to do that. Tell me about some of your other favorite ways to, to increase mitochondria function, because I know you kind of figured out that a lot of maybe your products that you were already uh, working on or, or products that you then started developing, you realized that's kind of how in part they were really helping people is by improving mitochondrial function, right? Uh, just about everything that I do at one level or another is going to help mitochondrial function, even meditation, breath work, cold showers, um, my company, uh, True Dark, that makes light therapy devices uh, and makes glasses that are patented for, um, for improving sleep. All of those have a direct impact on mitochondria. The end of the day, you sleep better, better mitochondria. Eat better with less toxins, better mitochondria. But things that really stand out are the C8 MCT oil, that I make for Bulletproof, it, it turns on ketones as soon as you take it. And ketones make mitochondria work better just because they make more energy when they go through it. And that's a big thing. And there's a whole variety of supplements I talk about, even really basic ones like magnesium that helps mitochondria. It does a bunch of other stuff too. Things like coenzyme Q10. Um, there's a supplement I make called Unfair Advantage that contains PQQ that, that is a really cool mitochondrial energizer. Keto Prime is one of my very favorite Bulletproof products. Um, it's one of the uh, parts of the Krebs cycle that primes the pump for the mitochondria to go through another round of the Krebs cycle. And man, you take that, it, it's pretty amazing how different your brain feels. So these are all things that work via that same pathway. Like, how do I get better at making air and food and energy? And it's a, it's a complex, amazing system. Uh, and we know a lot about it now, more than we ever have. We're saying, hmm, what can you do? Why would a cold shower matter? Because after three days of suffering in cold showers where you won't even be able to do a minute because it sucks, the mitochondria realize, oh, we live in an environment where we might have to be able to turn on a lot of heat very quickly. In other words, we have to get rid of our weak mitochondria and grow new ones. It takes longer than three days to do that. But in three days, they shift the ratio of cardiolipin in your mitochondrial membrane to cause the mitochondria to work better. 
And then all of a sudden the fourth day, the cold shower feels good, even though it felt like crap the previous three days. So, hmm, it, it's all tied together. But end of the day, they're calling the shots anytime you're not thinking about something. They're running an automatic meat operating system to keep your Petri dish alive. Okay. Tell me about, because so, I know you have always described yourself as, as a sort of human guinea pig. Tell me about kind of the latest uh, uh, techniques or tools uh, that you've been playing around with. Well, certainly different things you can do during a fast to amplify the fast has been a really big focus. Um, there's a couple compounds that I would have liked to be able to write about and fast this way that I couldn't because you couldn't buy them. So in my big anti-aging book, Superhuman, I wrote about a compound called spermidine. And spermidine, well, it was originally discovered um, by what its name sounds like. Uh, however, it's an uh, uh, aromatic compound that is really beneficial. It mimics a fast. And you couldn't buy it, though. You could only take bacteria, probiotics that would make it in your gut. And people who have more spermidine live longer. So now you can buy a spermidine supplement. Spermidine Life makes it. And there's a code. It's probably Dave25, I think, is the code. But if you want to save something. But spermidine Life is interesting because, um, or spermidine itself, it lets you take it during a fast. And it mimics the effects of fasting. So you're amplifying the fast when you take it. So every time I fast, I take that stuff. And that's really interesting. Uh, I've also been playing around um, for about four or five years now with continuous glucose monitoring, where you stick a little thing on your arm and you can wave your phone over it and it tells you your blood sugar. So if you're fasting, you think, man, I'm really hungry right now and your blood sugar is 120. Wait a minute. I have plenty of energy available. My body's just not using it. I'm not going to eat until my blood sugar is down you know, to 85 or 80 or something. And then it teaches the body, use what you got. Don't ask for more until you're ready. It's like teaching a dog to wait until dinner time instead of just feeding it all day long. It's a very similar kind of training regimen. For that, I use a company called Levels. I just became an investor and advisor in the company uh, because it's way better than the old diabetes level of monitoring your blood sugar. Um, because you take a picture of your food and then you pretty soon know, oh, these foods work really well for me and these foods cause me to get a blood sugar spike and crash and cravings. Maybe that's not a food compatible with my biology. And that's been, uh, that's been really in, uh, enlightening for me as well. And tell me about, yeah, with, with the continuous glucose monitoring, tell me about like what you've noticed just cognitively as you've kind of measured your, your blood sugars going up and down. One of the things that, that I've written about and um, that I, I've shared for a long time is that, oh, if you get a bad night's sleep, your blood sugar regulation uh, goes up by or goes down by about 40%. So you can actually become pre-diabetic if you pull an all-nighter. And, and seeing the data, you're like, wow, I really didn't get good sleep last night. And look at this today, a food that normally has no, no meaningful impact on my blood sugar today, it wrecks you. And I've been saying for years, okay, earlier breakfast, or sorry, earlier breakfast, earlier dinner is important. So you want to eat more according to the sun. And that said, the difference between having dinner at 5 and 6.15 is really meaningful on blood sugar. Eating after the sun goes down uh, has a much larger impact on blood sugar. So being able to see those nuances where, yeah, I heard it in a study, but yeah, 6 o'clock is pretty good. And now 5 is better than 6, and it's very provable when you have the data. Awesome. Well, I want to switch gears again and talk about something that we've already touched on, but cognitive enhancing uh, tools. Tell me about like some of the things that you've written about on the blog before with, with racetams 
and some of the more advanced uh, kind of nootropics. What, uh, tell me about like, you know, there seems to be kind of this gray area as far as the legality, um, but also just in terms of uh, people don't know, you know, someone, one person says that, you know, phenylparacetam works super well and another person doesn't notice any effect and someone else says paracetam is, is awesome. Tell me like, what, what, what do you think is going on there? Well, I've been using racetams for 25 years and put smart drugs like front and center in the world of biohacking because they're so impactful. Different brains are different and it's okay. And this is why I encourage people when they're starting to use the racetam family, um, start out with one at a time. Uh, our, our, our general vibe is people say, oh, I want a result. And in most biohacking things, just do everything that's going to give you results. See if you get the result and then back off. Otherwise, you're probably never going to discover what works anyway. But with racetams, um, I find that they're noticeably effective, but there's some things like Nupept. It's supposed to be 3,000 times stronger than Paracetam. It doesn't do anything to me. I don't feel it. But for some other people, it's too much. right? So you've got to really see what works for you. Phenylparacetam is banned by the Olympic Committee. It's the ampiest, like most stimulating of them. So it's pretty good energy. Um, my favorite is Anaracetam, which is, is now very popular in biohacking circles. And it was not a very well-known racetam. Uh, because paracetam was pretty much the, the big deal uh, when I started writing. Aniracetam is useful because it's the only one that gets memory uh, IO speeds up. So you get things in and out of memory faster. It's neuroprotective and it's the only fat soluble one. And it's also one of the few racetams that's anti-stress. I've been taking that stuff every day for a long time. And I just consider it like a, a core part of my protect my brain and make it work better stack. Um, but it's okay if it doesn't work for you. Like, try a different one. Awesome. Well, tell me, you know, we're coming up on the end of the show, but tell me, you know, what's next for Dave Asper? You know, you've written books, you've hosted conferences, done all this stuff with the blog, podcast. What, uh, what are you envisioning uh, going forward in the future? What I'm working on for 2021 is um, teaching all of the books that I've written. And I realize I've spent, you know, two or 3,000 hours in some of these books, but I never put a program like a course together, almost like what you get if you were to, to go to college or something. So I'm in the middle of recording courses for all my books. And if people go to ourupgradecollective.com, uh, you can sign up for that. And I'm spending a year, just a whole year, teaching people all the books, lecturing from the book, all the, the added on content, uh, 20 Q&As with me. So this is just a year of teaching. Awesome. Well, Dave, I want to really thank you for coming on the show today. Uh, you know, as I mentioned before we started airing, you've, uh, you've been one of the, uh, the beginning inspirations behind the Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro podcast. You were probably the first, uh, Bulletproof Radio was probably the first podcast that I stumbled upon and my introduction to biohacking and neurohacking in this whole world. So I want to really thank you for all your work. Uh, you know, personally made a big contribution to my life. and I know countless others. So I want to really thank you for that. And I appreciate your time for coming on the show today. Toby, thanks a lot uh, and keep hacking. Awesome.